Hello, and welcome to the NLP Highlights podcast, where we talk about interesting work in natural language processing. This is Matt Gardner and Walid Ammar. We are research scientists at the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. Today, our guest is Shea Fung, who is a PhD student at the University of Maryland, working with Jordan Boyd-Graber. I met Shea when he came and gave a talk at UCI just a week and a half ago and talked about some of his ongoing work, which I thought was really interesting. Shea, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So today we'll talk about a paper that you published with collaborators at the University of Maryland and a few other places, looks like, titled Pathology of Neural Models Makes Interpretation Difficult. So can we talk first about the setting of this work, about interpreting neural models? Like, what have people done here? Yeah, so the kind of interpretation we're looking at here is a local interpretation, which means we are given a model prediction on a specific example, and we want to understand why the model made this prediction. And the form of interpretation is by highlighting a subset of the features. So in the case of the image classification model, we might want to highlight some pixels. In the case of a sentence classification task, we might want to highlight some words in the sentence. And for natural language processing tasks, People have been using this pretty simple process called leave one out to figure out which words are important and which are not. So this method is based on the confidence of the model output. The process is basically you remove each word from the sentence and see how the prediction changes. In the paper, we have this example of a squad question. The question is, what did Tesla spend Aster's money on? And the original model confidence is 0.78. So what we do with leave one out is we take out the word what. So the question becomes, did Tesla spend Aster's money on? And we give this question to the model again and observe that the confidence drops to 0.67. So this drop of confidence from 0.78 to 0.67 defines the importance of this word what. Can I jump in here? I I guess I wonder about why this is a valid way to understand what's important. There are some good reasons to think it is. I just want to dig into them. One problem you might think with this is I'm changing what was a grammatical sentence or a grammatical question um, to something that's no longer grammatical. Why is this a valid thing to do? I see. Yeah, I think the grammaticality of the sentence is an interesting point. But I guess uh, let me kind of take a step back and go to the motivation of doing things like this. Okay. So so we're measuring the importance of each individual word independent of the context. So we remove one word at a time. So this is making a assumption that the model is some kind of bag of words. But the other way to look at this is it's making a linear approximation of the model. And this approximation is local around this given example. So I think I really like the formulation from the line paper. So the paper I'm referring to is why should I trust you explaining the predictions of any classifier from 2016? So the name they call is local interpretable model agnostic interpretations. I think we already explained what local means where we're uh, interested in a specific example. And model agnostic means they want the method to be general enough so that it can apply to any classifier. So I think it makes intuitive sense that we want to perturb the input and see how the classifier reacts to that. Yeah, I guess I wonder, perturbing the input means a funny thing in language because it's not obvious 
how to perturb things in a meaningful way that doesn't like totally break your input, right? It's, it's really easy to make a perturbation that, that gives me input that's no longer language. So why is this an interesting and valid thing to do? Assuming that model is doing something reasonable about natural language, then when a sentence is perturbed such that the new version is no longer grammatical, the model should react correspondingly in not making the original prediction. So we should observe, for example, some large job in confidence. Yeah, yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think later on in this discussion, we'll talk about some stuff you did to show that and make the model be more robust to this kind of bad input. If you believe that the model is just doing a bag of words approach, then yeah, leaving something out is a really good way to decide what parts of my input are important, right? Right. But if I have this this crazy nonlinear, non-independent kind of process that actually, we hope, uses uses the context of the whole question, it gets a little bit more fuzzy to me that this is actually a valid thing to do. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. So I guess one thing that we probably should address about interpretation is they are all approximations of the model. So none of the approximations will have uh, perfect fidelity. So in the line paper, they call this a fidelity interpretability trade-off, right? So if the model is inherently interpretable, we don't need like a second model to explain this original one. Yeah, so I totally agree. This assumption won't break on some examples. And the kind of high-level idea of this paper is to find kind of extreme cases where this unfaithfulness can be observed. Okay, so I think we have a handle on the limitations and possible usefulness of this like leave one out method for trying to understand what parts of your input are most informative for making a particular prediction. There's another method that you study also. Do yes. you want to tell us about that? So the other method is input gradient. So this is kind of also borrowed from image classification. What you do is you can back propagate, for example, from the loss of the model on a text example all the way to the input. So in our case, we back propagate to the word vectors. And then for language, because we have discrete input, there's the question of how do we aggregate the input gradient with respect to word vectors into a single scalar value for each token. I personally believe that this is a heuristic. There are multiple ways to do this. You can imagine doing a norm over the input gradient, or you can do a dot product with the word vector itself, which is the one we chose in the paper. So just to be clear here, what you're doing is I'm going to see how much, if I change the, the vector of this particular word, uh, I want to know how much does that change my prediction or the, the loss, which is essentially the difference between my prediction and the gold value, right? Right. Can you convince me that this is also a valid way of interpreting the importance of a particular word? I can see intuitive, maybe this is true, but it, it'd be nice to be thoroughly convinced. Yes. So I guess, first of all, the gradient with respect to word vectors is the best linear approximation we have for the following thing. So the thing is, if we change the word vector, how does my loss change? The motivation for doing a dot product with the word vector is the following. What this does is approximates the effect of changing the one-hot vector to a all-zero vector. So we can imagine the mapping from a discrete token to a word vector as taking the dot product of a one-hot vector with the word vector matrix. And this approximates changing that one in the one-hot vector to a zero. The other explanation of this is changing the word vector to all zero. Okay. 
And why are these gradients useful for understanding what the model is doing? Like in, intuitively, I can see that this probably makes sense. Is there a stronger argument than just an intuitive one? Yeah. So we can kind of use the leave one out method as a ground truth for a gradient-based approximation. And in our experiment, we found that these two methods, so leave one out and gradient-based approximation, generates basically the same ordering of words based on their importance. So we went with the gradient approximation, which is more efficient. Okay. Does this gradient-based approach still have the same caveats about bag of words assumptions and so forth? Yes. So all of our experiments are based on gradient-based approximation, and these pathological behavior we observe are also from this approximation. Right, but as we'll talk about in a minute, you use gradient-based stuff to leave words out, and you're still doing like a leave-one-out kind of approach. But in general, if I have arbitrary input, say squad, I have a passage and a question as input, and I want to predict an out answer as an output, if I just look at gradient to the question vectors in principle, could capture more than just bag of words. Is that true? Because like the gradients will go through the LSTM that's encoding the question. Yeah, but I think it's still making a linear approximation, right? Okay, great. So I think we've got a decent handle on the background setting for this, these different methods of interpreting. We're generally saying like if I perturb my input either by leaving a word out or by changing the vectors themselves somehow, uh, how does this affect my confidence in the output? And there are a couple of different ways to compute this. And then your paper comes in and says, I, I guess you want to tell us what the contribution is from your paper? Yes. So on a high level, we take this logic, or we can say a principle behind the perturbation-based or gradient-based interpretation and take it to a limit. So what we do is, Given a interpretation, so given the importance of value for each word, we'll just remove the least important word from the sentence. So by the definition of word importance, this will lead to a very small decrease in confidence or even an increase. So the model prediction should stay the same. And then we just repeat this process until the model prediction changes. So the interesting thing we observed is you can actually do this for many, many steps. In one example that we showed in the paper for a squad question, we can reduce the question, what did Tesla spend Astor's money on? Question mark to just a single word did and still get the same prediction from the model with a very high confidence. Wait, wait, wait. So you're saying I can totally remove all of the information from the question and not change the model's prediction? Uh, yes, exactly. How consistent is this across all of the questions? Is it just a few cherry-picked examples where this happens, or is it pervasive? Right. So we repeat this process for the whole validation set. And we basically find you can do this consistently for basically all the examples. So for squad, originally the average question length is 11.5 words. But this reduced example, the average length is only 2.3 words. And we actually also repeat this process for two other data sets. So VQA and SNRI, and observe the same phenomenon. So can you help me understand what this means? Like in squad, we have a passage and we have a question. Right. And there are several different questions per passage on average. And maybe what's going on is there are a few obvious answer candidates in the passage. Like you could imagine that there was actually a paper by Mike Lewis and some folks that like were doing a generative model of what kinds of things people might ask about in the passage. So I could a priori like 
find some candidate answers. And then I have like a single question word that could indicate which of these possible answers I picked. And that's essentially what's going on here because there's like this canned kind of simple kind of question approach to squat. Does that make sense? Yes, I think it makes sense. And I agree that part of the reason that we observe this kind of things is that the data set might contain artifacts that the model can exploit. So the model can differentiate between several candidate answers by using just several words in the question. And so if there was a much larger set of plausible answers that are observed in the training set, like a, a whole bunch of different questions, if there were more questions per paragraph that, that had a much more diverse set of possible answers, you would expect this to not work as well. Is that is my intuition right there? Um, I think it's partly correct. What that doesn't address is why the model is making such a high confidence prediction on a nonsensical question a single word did. Right. And my, again, this, you, you've, you've studied this a lot more than I have. My guess here, you can tell me if you agree with my guess, um, is that there are really just a few candidates and the single word in the question is enough to tell the model, given the paragraph, which of the candidates it has to pick. And so th this is, as you say, an artifact of, of the simplicity of the data set. Right. I agree. Cool. And then similarly, you, you said you saw this for VQA and SNLI. Is it worth going into more detail on some examples from either of those? Uh, yeah, I guess the VQA example we include in the paper is we have a picture of a flower that is yellow. And the question is, what color is the flower? And the model can answer correctly yellow with high confidence. When we do this reduction process on a question, we get a question that of just flower question mark. So a human won't be able to answer yellow because the human won't know what the question is asking about, but the model will still answer yellow with high confidence. And for SNLI, the Stanford Natural Language Inference dataset? Yeah. So this example has a premise, well-dressed men and women dancing in the street. And the original hypothesis is two men is dancing on the street. So the label is contradiction and the model is predicting correctly. But when we reduce the hypothesis, we can reduce it to just dancing, which doesn't really contradict the premise of man and, dance, man and woman dancing on the street, but the model is still predicting contradiction with high confidence. Do you have any intuition for why it happens on this data set? You mean for SNI specifically? Yeah, so why is dancing a contradiction in this setting? Like I, I, I've done a lot with reading comprehension stuff, and so I had some intuition for what might be going on with squad. SNLI is a little bit more opaque to me. Yeah. So several recent papers pointed out that SNLI contains uh, certain artifacts. For example, you can train a model using only the hypothesis and still get decent performance on the test set. And another recent paper by Talins and other people pointed out that you can solve SNLI using essentially just the word overlap between the premise and the hypothesis. And I suspect that this example is a case where the model is actually exploiting that artifact. So it's only relying on a single word. But in this case, it's making a wrong prediction. Yeah, that's that's the thing that's confusing me. Like it, it must have some bias where it expects to see, well, wait, that's not quite right. I was gonna say, in, unless it sees opposite words, it's gonna predict contradiction, but it's not seeing opposite words and it is predicting contradictions. So I'm I'm still a little bit confused on this case, but we can just put it down to, to annotation artifacts or something. Yeah, I don't think I have a good explanation for that. It's possible that this is just specific to this word dancing. 
Okay. Oh, in our experiments, we only remove words from the hypotheses. Okay, we've talked about your method. You're going to iteratively figure out using this gradient-based approximation for interpretability, which word is the least important, and you remove it over time, and you see that, that confidence stays high. I guess we haven't talked about like your aggregate results on how confidence changes and, and some other experiments that you ran. Right. So about confidence, uh, we just plot the density distribution of confidence on all the validation examples and compare between the original examples and the reduced examples. What we see is the confidence roughly stays the same. And the weird thing is on VQA, the confidence actually goes up on the reduced examples. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I haven't done much work on VQA, but I'd guess that it's a similar kind of thing for what I laid out for squad where... There are certain things that are typically asked about about an image. And so with just a single word, you can index into what was being asked yes. quite quite easily. Yes, I agree. Right. Yeah. And then you also looked at humans. I guess it's really intuitive that if you give this reduced question to a human, they'll have no idea what's going on. And you verified that, right? Right. So we want to make sure that the reduced examples are not only short, but also just completely nonsensical. So we show them to the humans and observe a drastic decrease in performance. The other experiment we did with humans is we'll randomly reduce the, the text to the same length as the reduced examples. So back to the squat example where the question is reduced to did by a process, we'll randomly select a single word from the question and show all three versions of the question to the human and ask them to choose between the version reduced by our method and the randomly reduced one. This is to verify that these examples appear just random and the human basically have no preference, like no significant preference of one over another. So you ran experiments showing that on your reduced examples, the model gets similar performance. Actually, I guess by definition, it's going to get the same performance, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. What about on the random examples? Did you try evaluating on the random questions also with the model? Yeah, so this is something that we didn't report in the paper. On random examples, the model performance will decrease very much. I guess as a side note, I don't remember if performance decreased uh, larger than human performance. But we definitely are not getting the same performance as these reduced examples. Okay. I remember from your talk, you talking about this. I don't, skimming over your paper, I'm not sure I see it in here. Did you train your model on the reduced examples? So like retrain from scratch on just the reduced examples? Yeah. So we did that for SNLI, just as an exploratory experiment. And it's kind of surprising that we get exactly the same performance as a model trained on full example. So I guess just to clarify... What we do is we do this process for all the training examples. We train a model from scratch on the reduced training examples, and we test on the reduced test examples. So originally, we thought that this means that the data set can be solved using only part of the input. And then we realized that there's actually a leaking problem. Because the reduction is done using a model that has seen the full example, this model is passing some knowledge through the reduction process. But the thing that we know from this experiment is this reduction process is doing some meaningful feature selection. It's not like completely random. That's a good point. It's still really interesting. Mm -hmm. Like just th thinking about squad, I, I know you didn't run this on squad. I imagine you'd see similar results though. And it, to me, very much confirms this selecting from which particular answer choice you want in the question. Yeah, I think so. That's, that's really interesting. So I, I wonder if you uh, had a chance to try different models and see how 
the choice of the model matters in how much reduction you can get. Yeah, so we didn't do this experiment on a large scale, so we didn't do this for all three data sets. But on SLI, we actually tried two different architectures and we get consistent results. So by consistent results, you mean you can usually get to the same average length? Yes. And reduced? Right. Interesting. Uh, I'm curious if models that are not neural would behave differently. And uh, yeah, I, I would expect like certain modules in, in the neural network to be more susceptible to this, this behavior. Yeah, I think that's possible. But I guess to ensure kind of a fair comparison, we need the model to have roughly the same regular performance. So if we test this, I suspect that we probably won't see the similar behavior with a, say, a linear model, but a linear model won't achieve the same uh, regular performance as a neural model on, say, squad. Yeah, I mean, but the focus in this work, I think, is to understand what the model is doing. So we want to be able to understand a variety of models. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to try more architectures. Um, but in this paper, we only tried like the selected ones. Though you did modify the model afterward to try to mitigate this, which I thought, to me, this was the most interesting part of this paper. So do you want to tell us uh, what you did on this entropy regularization stuff? Yes. So on these reduced examples, the ideal model behavior should be the model say, I don't know what the answer should be. And mathematically, this means the model should output a uniform distribution over all the possible answers, which basically just implement this using entropy. So what we do is, in addition to the regular maximum likelihood objective on regular examples, we take the reduced examples, so in this case, reduced training examples, and add a entropy regularizer to the objective. And what we do is we fine tune from a model train in a regular way. So intuitively, I guess, rephrasing this to be sure I understand, I'm gonna take a trained model and then I'm going to penalize the nonsense inputs to have a uniform distribution over my outputs. Yes, exactly. So mathematically, this is equivalent to confidence penalty or label smoothing, but the difference is we're doing this specifically on these reduced examples, not on regular examples. So the reduced examples are, are reduced in the way that you described earlier, or are they randomly selected as a subset of the, of the original input? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So what we did was we take the ones reduced by our method, and I guess another result that we didn't mention in the paper is we also tried regularizing on reduced examples, which actually achieved some mitigation on this weird behavior, but regularizing on randomly reduced examples didn't achieve that. Interesting. So there's something special about the examples reduced by this method. Is it really a bad thing that the model is able to make a good prediction or a correct prediction using a subset or like a small a small part of the of the sentence. I think it's not necessarily a bad thing. It may be exactly the right thing to do, right? But you're saying that when you do it this way, when you use your method to reduce the input, you get improved performance uh, overall. Mm -hmm. Improved performance in the sense that the model behaves more in a more reasonable way under input reduction. Does the final score on the original task improve? Uh, it remains essentially the same. We see a small improvement on squad. Well, I guess in that case, let me push a little harder here because I, I don't think necessarily this is a desirable property, right? If assuming that uh, in the cases where the reduced input actually captures the essence of the question or the essence of the input, mm -hmm. we want the model to be able to, to do it. Yes, I think that's a good question. So I guess a more general version of that question is what examples should we consider as nonsensical for a task? 
I think part of the reason why regularizing on randomly reduced example didn't work is that sometimes if we randomly select a word in the question, this word might capture the essence of that question. For example, if the VQA example, if the question is, is reduced to color question mark, then the human would be able to answer correctly. But I guess the justification of using reduced examples is through human experiments, we see that these examples are usually nonsensical. It kind of justifies that a random guess is the desired behavior. Right. Okay. I think that makes sense if, if we already know this about this particular model. But in principle, we don't know this for any given model. So we may want to first test whether the particular model we're using is doing a good job with the reduction or not. And then if, if it's not, then maybe we can augment the our objective accordingly. Is, is that roughly what you'd recommend? Yes, I think that makes sense. Yeah, so we should definitely see if the reduced examples make sense or not for a particular model. Although I guess that different architectures trained on at least these three data sets might may roughly demonstrate the same problem. I guess what I'm trying to say is I think this is more of a data set problem than a model problem. So I guess a, a piece of evidence for that is we actually tried doing uh, checking whether these reduced examples are transferable in that we reduce these uh, inputs using one model, take the reduced example and test it on a different architecture and see if the model still make the same prediction with high confidence. We tried it for some subset of SNI examples and I think more than 70% of the examples that we tried actually transferred. So that kind of says that these two different architectures have similar problems. And by transferred here, you mean you were able to reduce the sentence significantly without changing the prediction? Yeah, we are able to significantly reduce the example using model A, and these reduced examples will achieve the same effect on model B. That's very interesting. Uh, I wonder if we can do the same with different data sets on the same task. Yeah, that's a really strong argument that this is a data set artifact and not like it's something that the model is picking up on. Yeah, I think so. And it will be interesting to see if this works on our scale. Great. I think we didn't actually talk about the results of this entropy regularization stuff that you did. Do you want to tell us the experiments you ran? Yeah. So first, as a sandwich check, we are able to achieve the same performance on regular examples. So we don't lose model performance using entropy regularization. And the second thing is we repeat this reduction process on the validation set using the regularized model. And what we see is basically the model behaves in a more reasonable way. So first, we won't be able to reduce the example by that much. So the length of the reduced example increased significantly. And the confidence on the reduced examples on the, and the original examples are better separated. And just to quantify this a little bit, looking at your paper, this is table two for anyone who has the paper with them. You report that before the entropy regularization, on squad, the average length is 2.3 words of your reduced example. And then after you do this, it's it becomes about five words on average. So you've basically doubled the size of the reduced question. Uh, yes, that's correct. And for SNLI, it goes from 1.5 to 2.2. And VQA goes from 2.3 to 2.9. So these increases in the reduced size are much smaller for SNLI and VQA than they are for squad. Do you have any intuition for why that happened? I have some explanation. So I think the fact that squad requires a spam prediction definitely is a factor. So in a 
common squad model, you generate a attention map over all the possible starting positions of the span and generate a similar attention map for the ending position of the span. So if one of the position changes, the prediction changes. So it's easier for the model to switch predictions. I think the other factor is the length. So when we plot the distribution of length of inputs for the three tasks on the original model before regularization, the length of reduced examples and original examples are better separated for squad. So that might make regularization easier. I see. I may just be looking too hard at the absolute numbers because if you look at percentages, percent difference, maybe they're much closer. Like that, That's another way of saying what you just said. I think that SNLI average example length is 7.5, whereas for squad, it's 11.5. So that, like the, the original example is longer. And so the percent improvement is maybe closer. Yes, right? yes, I think so. But I, I liked your point also on the entropy regular, regularization is just a stronger signal when I have a larger output space, which is true for, for squad. Yes, I agree. Which is, a, which is a good point. The reason that I thought this was so interesting was I wondered what other areas this was applicable to. Because basically what you're saying is if I have some method automatic or whatever, of finding nonsense inputs, like variance in my input, I, I can get a more robust model by doing this kind of regularization. Uh, yes, I think so. So uh, I think constructing negative examples and doing entropy regularization is generally applicable to other classification tasks. It's similar to label smoothing and confidence penalty, but the motivation is slightly different. So their, their motivation was they want to deal with the noise in the labels in the training data. So they don't want to be too confident about the training examples. In our case, we're specifically constructing negative examples. I guess the trick is how can we define non-trivial, nonsensical examples in NLP for a given task? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I, I guess another way to evaluate this, I don't know if you've, you've done this, I don't think it's in your paper, but you may have done it since. Test domain adaptation. If I train on some data set and then test on an out-of-domain same task data set, I would expect that the entropy regularized model would transfer better. So uh, actually, we tried something like this, but it didn't quite work. One intuitive explanation of what entropy regularization is doing is kind of removing the artifacts from the model. And what we did was we take in percent, which is trained on SLI, a sentence embedding trained on SLI. We take that and we do entropy regularization on in percent and try to see if the transfer performance on other classification tasks increase. We didn't spend enough time on that to make it work, but I think that's one direction that I think is very interesting. Yeah, I guess sen sentence vectors and sentence classification seems particularly hard. If there are other reading comprehension kinds of data sets transferring, say, from squad to trivia QA or something, I don't know. I, I just, I wonder if this would make it more robust. I hope uh, that we can figure out methods to do this. And this sounds like a promising one. It's just, it, I guess it needs more work to figure out. Yeah, I think entropy regularization is unique in that it's targeting a specific model behavior compared to, say, adversarial training. Yeah, I wonder if there's also ways to modify the input to like remove some of the information out of it without breaking the grammaticality of the input. I wonder if you've seen anything like this before, uh, like replacing a word with uh, another word from the same category, from the same syntactic category that has less information or is more common. I don't know. So I think this kind of word replacement or paraphrasing of examples is commonly used for constructing adversarial examples for 
natural language processing tasks. So the goal there is actually to keep the meaning of the sentence. I don't think I've seen work where the goal is to perturb the meaning of the sentence. Yeah, I, I don't have an idea of top of my head to like how to do that. Yeah, but that, that might work, yeah, yeah like with, with a different objective, yeah. Well, great. This has been a really interesting conversation. I feel like we're at a point in NLP where we need a whole lot more work on trying to understand what's going on with all of these crazy huge models. And your paper is a very nice contribution along those lines. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we missed? Or do you have any last thoughts before we conclude? Yeah, I guess I'll just mention, so in the paper, we discussed two possible explanations for why we observe these weird behaviors. So we mentioned that leave one out and gradient-based approximation are making this bag-of-word assumption about model. And it's clearly not a true assumption. And we actually observed cases where this assumption breaks under input reduction. So what we see is when we remove a unimportant word from the sentence, a very important word suddenly becomes unimportant. So let's say we have word A and B. Word A is of high importance, B is unimportant. And we take out word B and suddenly word A becomes unimportant. So this is a higher order correlation between A and B. And what this means is word A is only important in the context of word B. So this is showing like where the linear assumption breaks. Right. So we talked at the beginning that we're implicitly assuming some bag of words. And here you have strong evidence that this isn't actually what's going on. Uh, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I guess. Do you, do you know of any interpretability methods that don't make this bag of words assumption? Like, are, are there hints in the future that will have better ways to understand what's going on? Um, I probably shouldn't talk about that. Stay tuned for more work. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Great. Cool. It was, it was nice talking to you. This is really interesting. Yeah, it was nice talking to you too.